Unshackled of Pacific Garden Mission presents History's Greatest Sermons, where we share the personal history of godly men who brought forth the truth of the gospel in powerful sermons to a world long ago. Can you imagine sitting at the feet of one of history's greatest preachers and hearing their greatest sermons? Picture yourself on an old wooden pew in Charles Spurgeon's London church. Great faith must have great trials. Or perched in a tree in the fields of a George Whitfield revival. Take care of your life, and the Lord will take care of your death. Or striding down the sawdust trail at a Billy Sunday prayer meeting. Christianity means a lot more than church membership. Whatever the scene, hearing these great sermons from the past will be as fitting to today's Christians as the day they were first preached. And now, here are your hosts, Tim Lundeen and Kelly Robbins. Welcome back to History's Greatest Sermons. Kelly, good to see you again. And you, Tim. Uh, well, real quick, we're going to hear again from Andrew Murray. Mm-hmm. This is a two-parter. And I always say this, if you want to hear part one, check out the Unshackled app on any app store that you like, and you can hear the first part of this sermon. Very good. And we're going to backtrack just a little bit. We are. It resets the context as we zoom forward towards the end, because Murray begins to shift in his focus. Yeah. So you need the context to yeah, be able to do that. Yeah, if you've heard part one, you're going to hear a little bit of that, the mm-hmm. tail end of that, that part of part one. It just, it really helps, mm-hmm. and you'll understand why in a bit. Um, I explained in the first episode that, or the first part of this uh, sermon, Andrew Murray uh, was in South Africa. Now, he had studied in Scotland. His parents were from Scotland. He also studied uh, theology in Holland, but then he came back to South Africa. His first missionary appointment was to a location that, from what I read, was 50,000 square miles and 12,000 people, which it's like the worst of both worlds. Like, not only was that, that's a decent number of people, but the space that he had to cover for that. To get those 12,000. And I almost wonder if that's where his, uh, uh, like... He showed signs of becoming a good author. Well, yeah, Ah. because if I've got to reach that many people in that remote, I got to write something down. I wonder if that's kind of where it started. I don't have any. Paul. Yeah, this is Paul writing all those letters. Right. He's got to. He's got to do that. Yeah. One of his favorite subjects was the deeper Christian life, which is fascinating. There's books out there. He's written on it. I would recommend you look those up. Still classics today. Yes. Um. In 1873, he helped establish a seminary and school in South Africa, where young women could be trained for educational work. Of course, they were quickly overrun because they had people from all over as far as they could Mm. to get to this school, Mm. Um, a fantastic ministry. Mm -hmm. He died in 1917, just a few months before his 89th birthday. What a life. Uh, Died in the traces. Yes. Yes. Um, So what we're going to hear today is part two of his sermon, The Fruit of the Spirit is Love. Love is God's gift. Once again I ask, why must this be so? And my answer is, without this we cannot live the daily life of love. How often when we speak about the consecrated life, we have to speak about temper. And people sometimes say, you make too much of temper. I do not think we can make too much of it. Think for a moment of a clock and of what its hands mean. 
the hands tell me what is within the clock. And if I see that the hands stand still, or that the hands point wrong, or that the clock is slow or fast, I say that something inside the clock is not working properly. And temper is just like the revelation that the clock gives of what is within. Temper is a proof whether the love of Christ is filling the heart or not. How many there are who find it easier in church or in prayer meeting or in work for the Lord, diligent, earnest work to be holy and happy than in the daily life with wife and children? How many find it easier to be holy and happy outside the home than in it? Where is the love of God? In Christ. God has prepared for us a wonderful redemption in Christ, and he longs to make something supernatural of us. Have we learned to long for it, ask for it, and expect it in its fullness? Then there is the tongue. Sometimes we speak of the tongue when we talk of the better life and the restful life, but just think what liberty many Christians give to their tongues. They say, I have a right to think what I like. When they speak about each other, when they speak about their neighbors, when they speak about other Christians, how often are there sharp remarks? God, keep me from saying anything that would be unloving. God, shut my mouth if I am not to speak in tender love. But what I am saying is a fact. How often sharp criticism, sharp judgment, hasty opinion, unloving words, secret contempt of each other, secret condemnation of each other are found among Christians who are banded together in work. Oh, just as a mother's love covers her children and delights in them and has the tenderest compassion with their foibles or failures, so there ought to be in the heart of every believer a motherly love toward every brother and sister in Christ. Have you aimed at that? Have you sought it? Have you ever pleaded for it? Jesus Christ said, As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. John 13.34 And he did not put that among the other commandments, but he said in effect, That is a new commandment, the one commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. It is in our daily life and conduct that the fruit of the Spirit is love. From that comes all the graces and virtues in which love is manifested. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, no sharpness or hardness in your tone, no unkindness or selfishness, meekness before God and man. You see that all these are the gentler virtues. I have often thought as I read those words in Colossians, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, Meekness, long-suffering. Colossians 3.12 That if we had written this, we should have put in the foreground the strong virtues, such as zeal, courage, and diligence. But we need to see how the gentler, the most tender virtues, are especially connected with dependence on the Holy Spirit. These are indeed heavenly graces. They never were found in the heathen world. Christ was needed to come from heaven to teach us. 
Your blessedness is long-suffering, meekness, kindness. Your glory is humility before God. The fruit of the Spirit that he brought from heaven out of the heart of the crucified Christ and that he gives in our heart is first and foremost love. You know what John says. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. 1 John 4.12 That is, I cannot see God, but as a compensation, I can see my brother. And if I love him, God dwells in me. Is that really true? That I cannot see God, but I must love my brother and God will dwell in me? Loving my brother is the way to real fellowship with God. You know what John further says in that most solemn test? If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? 1 John 4.20 There is a brother a most unlovable man. He worries you every time you meet him. He is of the very opposite disposition to yours. You are a careful businessman, and you have to associate with him in your business. He is most untidy, unbusinesslike. You say, I cannot love him. Oh, friend, you have not learned the lesson that Christ wanted to teach above everything. Let a man be what he will, you are to love him. Love is to be the fruit of the Spirit all the day and every day. Yes, listen, if you don't love that unlovable man whom you have seen, how can you love God whom you have not seen? You can deceive yourself with beautiful thoughts about loving God. You must prove your love to God by your love to your brother. That is the one standard by which God will judge your love to him. If the love of God is in your heart, you will love your brother. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And what is the reason that God's Holy Spirit cannot come in power? Is it not possible? You remember the comparison I used in speaking of the vessel. I can dip a little water into a small vessel, but if a vessel is to be full... It must be unbroken. And the children of God, wherever they come together, to whatever church or mission or society they belong, must love each other intensely, or the Spirit of God cannot do His work. We talk about grieving the Spirit of God by worldliness and ritualism and formality and error and indifference. But I tell you, the one thing above everything that grieves God's spirit is this lack of love. Let every heart search itself and ask that God may search it. Our love shows God's power. Why are we taught that the fruit of the spirit is love? Because the spirit of God has come to make our daily life an exhibition of divine power and a revelation of what God can do for his children. In the second and fourth chapters of Acts, we read that the disciples were of one heart and of one soul. During the three years they had walked with Christ, they never had been in that spirit. 
All Christ's teaching could not make them of one heart and one soul. But the Holy Spirit came from heaven and shed the love of God in their hearts, and they were of one heart and one soul. The same Holy Spirit that brought the love of heaven into their hearts must fill us too. Nothing less will do. Even as Christ did, one might preach love for three years with the tongue of an angel, but that would not teach any man to love unless the power of the Holy Spirit should come upon him to bring the love of heaven into his heart. Think of the church at large. What divisions! Think of the different bodies. Take the question of holiness. Take the question of the cleansing blood. Take the question of the baptism of the Spirit. What differences are caused among dear believers by such questions? That there are differences of opinion does not trouble me. We do not have the same constitution and temperament and mind. But how often hate, bitterness, contempt, separation and unlovingness are caused by the holiest truths of God's word. Our doctrines, our creeds have been more important than love. We often think we are valiant for the truth and we forget God's command to speak the truth in love. And it was so in the time of the Reformation between the Lutheran and Calvinistic churches. What bitterness there was in regard to communion which was meant to be the bond of union among all believers. And so, through the ages, the very dearest truths of God have become mountains that have separated us. If we want to pray in power, and if we want to expect the Holy Spirit to come down in power, and if we indeed want God to pour out His Spirit we must enter into a covenant with God that we will love one another with a heavenly love. Are you ready for that? Only that is true love that is large enough to take in all God's children, the most unloving and unlovable and unworthy and unbearable and trying. If my vow, absolute surrender to God, was sincere, then it must mean absolute surrender to the divine love to fill me. I must be a servant of love to love every child of God around me. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Oh, God did something wonderful when he gave Christ, at his right hand, the Holy Spirit to come down out of the heart of the Father and his everlasting love. And how we have degraded the Holy Spirit into a mere power by which we have to do our work. God forgive us. Oh, that the Holy Spirit might be held in honor as a power to fill us with the very life and nature of God and of Christ. Christian work requires love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. I ask once again. Why is it so? And the answer comes, that is the only power in which Christians really can do their work. Yes, it is love that we need. We want not only love that is to bind us to each other, but we want a divine love in our work for the lost around us. Oh, do we not often undertake a great deal of work, just as men undertake work of philanthropy, 
from a natural spirit of compassion for our fellow men? Do we not often undertake Christian work because our minister or friend calls us to it? And do we not often perform Christian work with a certain zeal but without having had a baptism of love? People often ask, what is the baptism of fire? I have answered more than once, I know no fire like the fire of God, the fire of everlasting love that consumed the sacrifice on Calvary. The baptism of love is what the church needs, and to get that we must begin at once to get down on our faces before God in confession and plead, Lord, let love from heaven flow down into my heart. I'm giving up my life to pray and live as one who has given himself up for the everlasting love to dwell in and fill him. Yes, if the love of God were in our hearts, what a difference it would make. There are hundreds of believers who say, I work for Christ and I feel I could work much harder, but I do not have the gift. I do not know how or where to begin. I do not know what I can do. Brother, sister, ask God to baptize you with the spirit of love and love will find its way. Love is a fire that will burn through every difficulty. You may be a shy, hesitating person who cannot speak well, but love can burn through everything. God fills us with love. We need it for our work. You've read many a touching story of love expressed and you have said, how beautiful. Oh, I heard one not long ago. A lady had been asked to speak at a rescue home where there were a number of poor women. As she arrived there and passed by the window with the matron, she saw a wretched woman sitting outside and asked, Who is that? The matron answered, She has been in the house 30 or 40 times and she has always gone away again. Nothing can be done with her. She is so low and hard. But the lady said, She must come in. The matron then said, We've been waiting for you and the company is assembled and you have only an hour for the address. The lady replied, no, this is of more importance. And she went outside where the woman was sitting and said, my sister, what is the matter? I am not your sister, was the reply. The lady laid her hand on her and said, yes, I am your sister and I love you. And so she spoke until the heart of the poor woman was touched. The conversation lasted some time and the company was waiting patiently. Ultimately, the lady brought the woman into the room. There was the poor, wretched, degraded creature full of shame. She would not sit on a chair, but sat down on a stool beside the speaker's seat. And she let her lean against her with her arms around the poor woman's neck while she spoke to the assembled people. And that love touched the woman's heart. She had found one who really loved her, and that love gave access to the love of Jesus. Praise God, there is love on earth in the hearts of God's children, but oh, that there were more. Oh God, baptize our ministers with a tender love. And our missionaries, our Bible readers, our workers, and our young men's and young women's associations. 
Oh, that God would begin with us now and baptize us with a heavenly love. Love inspires intercession. Once again, it is only love that can fit us for the work of intercession. I have said that love must fit us for our work. Do you know what the hardest and the most important work is that has to be done for this sinful world? It is the work of intercession, the work of going to God and taking time to lay hold of Him. A man may be an earnest Christian, an earnest minister, a man may do good, but alas, how often he has to confess that he knows little of what it is to tarry with God. May God give us the great gift of an intercessory spirit, a spirit of prayer and supplication. Let me ask you in the name of Jesus not to let a day pass without praying for all saints and for all God's people. I find there are Christians who think little of that. I find there are prayer unions where they pray for the members and not for all believers. I pray you take time to pray for the church of Christ. It is right to pray for the heathen, as I have already said. God help us to pray more for them. It is right to pray for missionaries and for evangelistic work and for the unconverted. But Paul did not tell people to pray for the heathen or the unconverted. Paul told them to pray for believers. Do make this your first prayer every day. Lord, bless thy saints everywhere. This state of Christ's church is indescribably low. Plead for God's people that he would visit them. Plead for each other. Plead for all believers who are trying to work for God. Let love fill your heart. Ask Christ to pour fresh love into you every day. Try to grasp by the Holy Spirit of God. I am separated under the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit is love. God help us to understand it. May God grant that we learn day by day to wait more quietly upon him. We must not wait upon God only for ourselves, or the power to do so will soon be lost. But we must give ourselves up to the ministry and the love of intercession and pray more for God's people in general, for God's people around us, for the spirit of love in ourselves and in them, and for the work of God we are connected with. The answer will surely come, and our waiting upon God will be a source of untold blessing and power. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Have you a lack of love to confess before God? Then make confession and say before Him, O oh Lord, my lack of heart, my lack of love, I confess it. And then as you cast that lack at His feet, Believe that the blood cleanses you, that Jesus comes in his mighty cleansing, saving power to deliver you, and that he will give his Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. That was Andrew Murray, portrayed by Kurt Nabig. Uh, one thing that I really liked is he talked about, he referenced 1 John. Mm -hmm. 1 John's interesting. I was in this uh, kind of youth group setting, and one of the students asked the leader, how do I know 
I mean, you talk about, you know, being a Christian and, and living as a Christian. I have Jesus in, my, in me. I don't understand. How do I know? And what the youth leader should have said, in my opinion, was read 1 John. Mm. Then you'll know. It's very simple. It's not a checklist to get into heaven. It's not the 21 steps to enter through the pearly gates. It's just a way to gauge whether or not I'm living according to how Christ wants me to live. And he talks about, you know, hey, you, maybe you can't see God, but do you love your brother who you can see? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, love, that kind of love is not even possible without God dwelling inside you. Well, I can do good, and it doesn't take a believer to do good. Oh, right. You're not saying that. Right. It's a different, it's a, the love that pours out to that person, not just a brother, but someone that we might not even like. Yeah. Um, this idea of, you know, I don't really like you, but I love you in Christ. You know, like, well, that's not what he's talking about. Uh, anyway, First John is a great place to go to. I love that he touched on that idea. Um, you can know that, that the spirit of God is dwelling in you by how you love someone. What comes out of the tongue? He starts with the tongue. He does. He does. Um, one of the first people that really impressed me along that line was a residence director at the college I went to. Okay. First-year students couldn't have cars. Okay. She happened to live in my area, so there was a ride. My folks had moved. I didn't know the route from my college back. I knew how to get to college, not how to get back. And so it was a very interesting ride. We, sure. we nosed our way. But there were many hours in that car. And so across time, I got to know her a bit. I think there was more than one trip. And on campus, et cetera, et cetera. As I thought about it, I thought, I have never heard you speak ill of anyone. But wait a second. We are in forming adults, college campuses are, you know, 18 to 22 years. Sure, yeah. Learning, emerging, new, formulating. And there's a lot to not like sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) And in her role, it's her, she was a director to help students become. And yet I could not think of a time when she spoke ill of someone. Mm. And that was so unlike what was in my mind and heart that it really touched me, seeing it and tasting it that way. Yeah. We might think... um... Gosh, loving the, the message of loving the unlovable or, or expressing that love through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is only possible through God. It's not just um, towards someone who is downcast, which he, ta- he, did, he, re- he talked about a story of, of the woman who either didn't feel like she could come in or they tried to invite her in. And she's like, well, I just don't feel worthy. Yeah. There, are those, there are those people who, who really need the love of Christ. But in my life, there's also people that I just don't like. Yes. Or um, someone, you know, the guy that cuts you off in traffic or the person on television who has a different opinion than you. Yes. Or the, or, and I don't want to get into all that, but no. any, any of this stuff, these are people who desperately need God, who desperately need to see and experience the love of Christ. And that's only possible as a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. We get past disagreement very quickly. When the Holy Spirit's involved. Yeah. This is not about agreement, therefore liking loving. This is about, no, no, they are other than you. You will be loving them mm. regardless, Yeah, Christian or not, which leads us to some of his commentary on prayer. We are very used to praying for those who don't yet know Christ. Right. Well, that's not his admonition here at all. He's saying you need to pray for each other or you will never be able to love the way that Christ loves you. Yeah. And it was as a twofold a call to intercession. Mm-hmm. The one it seemed to me was that idea of, you know, the, the outside world is looking. Mm-hmm. 
They're watching us. Yes. So if there's strife and division and frustration, even in our own little community, that speaks, it speaks, you know, words. I should say that. (laughs) Uh, So as we pray and we pray for the, the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit to love, like you said, it's for each other. Yes. And I also think that there's something in it to intercede for each other within the church, within the body of Christ as a way to shield and protect each other. Mm-hmm. I've said before, probably on this program, that something that's constantly under attack is the authority of God and the word of God. Yes. I think another thing that's under attack is just the body itself. Yes. And, uh, the discouragement that's there sometimes, even the depression, the clinical depression that's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, a great point. Not just We're not just pray and pray that God would pour out his spirit and that we would see people come to know Christ, but the body itself, mm-hmm. sometimes it's hemorrhaging. Sometimes it's just under a lot of pain. Most people that we see are wounded yeah. in the faith family or not. In the faith. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right, right. And um, it strikes me that if you've ever been on a short-term, short-term missions trip of any sort, something happens to the team. Ever afterward, that team is still toward each other. They're still for each other. Mm. If it's a good team, Right. Because you've been praying for each other in a way that supersedes the regular. And I discovered that afterwards, anybody could come and ask me anything and they'd get a yes. Mm. There's a towardness that we need to see in the whole body of Christ that we're missing. And Andrew closed out his sermon by saying to confess that, to pray to God, to say, God, we need this love toward each other. We need the fruit of the spirit of love. Amen. This has been History's Greatest Sermons an unshackled production of Pacific Garden Mission, produced and directed by Timothy Gregory. To hear more unshackled content, you can download our app, get it for free at any of the major app stores. For more information, visit unshackled.org. Join us next time as we experience another one of history's greatest sermons.